This is the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health, exploring a wide variety of medical and wellness issues for older adults and their families. Here's your host, Jason Alderman. Welcome back to the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health. I'm Jason Alderman. I'm here with Dr. Kumar Dharmarajan. He is the Chief Scientific Officer at Clover Health. Kumar, welcome back. Happy to be here. Um, let's talk tech for doctors today. Um, it seems like when I go into hospitals in particular, but even some doctor's offices, I see some of the coolest, most amazing high-tech things I've ever seen seem straight out of a science fiction movie. Um, and then I go to pay at a doctor's office, and I literally see the the receptionist on Windows 98. Um, this dichotomy of technology being so advanced in, on one hand and seemingly so primitive on the other hand, it, am I imagining this, or does this really exist in the medical world? I think there's a lot of truth uh, to what you're seeing. So on the one hand, as you point out, technologies for treating patients mm. has become really advanced, mm. whether that's stem cell therapy, robotic surgeries, new fancy telemonitoring devices. It's all out there. But when you go to the doctor's office, you know, technologies, you talk about paying or organizing care, communicating with patients, helping patients self-manage their chronic health conditions have lagged behind. Um, and I think the crux here is that the technologies have to drive value uh, for the consumer, which isn't always the patient. Sometimes it's the patient and the producer. So on the one hand, those technologies for treating patients like robots and stem cells, you know, they can make huge impacts in patients' lives if used appropriately. They can be life-saving. And you know, patients or payers may be willing to pay for that. Um, they tend to have hefty price tags. You know, they can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. So the producers make these therapies. Uh, but when wait, wait, and just a producer. Yeah. What, is, what does a producer mean in that? So, so it could be a pharmaceutical company. It could be a device manufacturer. Got it. it. You know, it could be any of those. Okay. Right. So I think there's value there on both sides of the equation. But in many cases, this is just my opinion, the technologies for doctor's offices, you know, the example you gave about Windows 98, I'm not sure within the constraints of the financial model that doctors are paid that that value is always there. I can give you an example. So what about a technology that allows patients to share their blood sugars, for example, with the doctor? It may seem like a no-brainer, right? But imagine if that technology doesn't integrate with the doctor's electronic health record and they have to access a different platform. Uh, that's not always easy to do. And what if those technologies are sending data every day? Are you going to have a doctor monitor that for that one patient? What if there's a thousand or two thousand patients? What if there are hundreds of blood sugars getting sent to you? And the way you know reimbursement by and large works is you know, it's different than, let's say, a lawyer where they can bill for time on a project. In healthcare, pretty much, not all, but pretty much all reimbursement is for face-to-face -face work. So if you're having, you know, providers do more and more work out of that face-to-face -face encounter, and it's work that's not on their, their systems that they use, it's a new app, it's a new website, it's something different they have to download, it's just really hard, I think, for the providers to see the value there. And I think that's the honest-to-goodness reason. A lot of tech doesn't integrate well um, with the workflow that providers use. And, you know. So should I be worried? Is, that a, is this a problem? 
I think it is a problem that our health system needs to solve. Mm. And I think people are getting more and more savvy about that. Mm. So if you look at a lot of direct-to-consumer technologies, for example, or just innovation like genetic testing, think about like the Mm. 23andMe type world, right? Well, now they've done a better job, some companies, not all, of saying, okay, based on your results, we'll, you know, give you a conversation with a geneticist, right? And, oh, if there's some changes here, we'll have that geneticist talk to your doctor. And so it's really trying to tie that loop together. And then, you know, even that last part, feeding the doctor information in ways that he or she um, finds actionable, right? So just getting a list uh, you know, a big readout that's 20 pages long of a lot of genetic results, you know, if that's not actionable, then there's a lot of time spent on that and it's not clear value, frankly, either to the patient sometimes or, or the health provider. It's really interesting. So in, in medical school, is staying abreast of the latest technology and the latest, greatest versions of devices and uh, is that something that's emphasized or is this is that, is that something doctors have to pick up once they're out in practice? So if it's treatment-related technology, so let's say a new heart valve, right, to mm-hmm. replace a valve in the heart that's not working well. You know, I think medical students are taught about that because that's really a treatment, right? It's Or a new medicine or new stem cells, getting back to that example, like that's the sort of information, you know, there's a study on it, it's published in a big medical journal, that is part of medical education. And really, I think the crux there is that those sort of treatments often have evidence and data behind it. So these companies, uh, whether it's a pharma company, a device manufacturer, to get approval, let's say, by the FDA, they have to do pivotal studies. And so there's that evidence base for the treatment. And a lot of medical education emphasizes, quote unquote, evidence-based medicine. So it fits well. But when you talk about things like a new app that's available, you know, there often isn't that evidence base. And so it's not going to become a part of the training to say, you know, this would be part of, you know, recommended care. And so to me, that makes sense. But on the other hand, medical students, now they're young, they've grown up with technology, they're all on social media, they, you know, are very comfortable with the latest gadgets. And I do think they get frustrated with how tech backwards healthcare is. Mm. And a lot of the great ideas are coming from young folks. So while they're not getting formally trained, they are growing in a world of technology, a world that they're used to, a world that they're actually helping move forward. And then when they see medicine, I think they bring a lot of bright ideas to make things better, even if it's not necessarily a formal part of medical education always. Well, how, how do you, I mean, I know you stay on top of things by, going to conferences, reading papers, but do you, for some of these things like, you know, that aren't necessarily evidence-based and that don't have four years worth of a study, clinical study behind them, do you have your own kitchen cabinet of, oh, I see, I see there's a, you know, a new tool out there. I'm going to call Susan, my friend, Dr. Susan, because I, do you have your own group of people that you know, just to reach out to who you know are sort of on the leading edge of that, that you can, you personally consult with? I do. Hmm. Uh, So, you know, I have my network of people and also Hmm. it's part of my job here Hmm. at Clover. Clover is a very tech-forward Medicare health insurance company. And so it's part of my job to try and stay on top of this. And a lot of times, you know, um, these technology developers come to Clover and want to understand, is there a role 
um, for Clover to use that technology or our network of physicians that we work with for them to use that technology. But I don't think that, so for me, it's both interesting, important, and it's directly tied to my job. But I think for others, you know, if, if it's not, everyone's busy, they're working hard trying to see patients. And if, if it's not directly tied to their line of work, it's, it's probably not commonly done unless people are just sort of reading about it in the newspaper and they see it on commercials. So, so doctors, just to be, so just to go, I get this, doctors learn about things from reading it in the newspaper themselves. They'll, they'll learn about a new, a new procedure, a new app, a new something by seeing it, it like a, like a consumer, like I do. Yeah. And I think doctors are generally, you're trained to be hungry for new evidence, mm. right? Um, you know, physicians are supposed to be reading, looking at the medical literature. They're supposed to be taking courses every year to make sure their medical education stays as up to date as possible. So I, I think most doctors and just health providers in general are innately curious. And so they're all looking at these things. Uh, but, you know, I think there's also a difference between just reading about something and integrating it into your practice. Um, fair point. Um, what do you think when you're thinking about technology that you're seeing um, as a doctor and as a, a chief scientific officer at Clover and, and the two new, new technologies that you see coming in, what are PCPs, primary care physicians, what are they missing out on? Is, is there something that you think people are slow to adapt in their own practice, adopt in their own practices and, and bring to their patients? So I think uh, as, a, as a physician, as a provider, you have access to the information you have access to. So that's what a patient might tell you. Uh, and unless you're really part of a large health system, which most providers aren't, you're not necessarily getting easy access to whatever else is happening to your patient, which is other doctors they're seeing, you know, new medications they're on, procedures they have, or even hospitalizations they're having, ER visits, those sort of things. And, you know, I think one thing we're seeing more, and I'm proud to say Clover's really doing this, is providing additional data to providers that they may not normally have access to, like their health conditions or opportunities to improve quality, to coordinate care better. Because as a payer, you have, in some cases, access to the ecosystem of data that an individual provider might not, right? And so I think that's something that's a real opportunity here. And at the end of the day, though, the data has to be actionable because everyone's working hard. They're not going to spend tons of time going through troves of information. It has, it has to be packaged right. It has to produce uh, data that a physician would say, like, hey, I'm glad I know this when my patient is sitting across from me. Or I'm glad I know this. They're in the hospital. When they get out, I need to see them. Or they're in the hospital. I know my patient well. I should talk to the doctors taking care of them in the hospital because I can provide that continuity that a doctor in the hospital might not otherwise have. And so I think there are real opportunities there for payers and providers to work much more closely mm -hmm. together to help patients. So just so I'm getting this right, so you're basically saying that we, as an insurance company, we have access to all of the different data. We know because everybody wants to get paid, we see what that member, the patient, is doing outside of what their primary care physician may never know. So if I go to see a podiatrist that it may never get back to my, my primary care physician that I went and saw a podiatrist, but as the insurance company, we know that that's happened. And so we can then deliver that information to the primary care physician to say, hey, FYI, this could be useful for you. Exactly. Um, and, and I think there's a range of data we can deliver. So hmm. To your example, I think we can de definitely deliver data that suggests 
hey, your patient just saw this other doctor, or hey, your patient just had this procedure, or had a x-ray done, or a CAT scan, or things like that. I think we can also share information to say, hey, your patient just got prescribed this medication, and it might not be the best medication based on what we know about this patient. There might be alternatives. Or, hey, your patient, based on other data we have, is having financial struggles, and the medicines they're on are higher cost than some alternatives that they could have that might be clinically equivalent. And ultimately, I don't think health plans should get in the business of making medical decisions clearly for patients. I think that's in the realm of their providers, doctors, nurses, um, based on licensure rules. But I think health plans have a great opportunity to help those providers make better decisions. And I think patients would like to know that their health plan was actually on the same side mm -hmm. as their mm -hmm. doctor and working together um, to keep him or her healthy. It, it has always struck me seeing seeing my own doctors and, and nurse practitioners over over the years. You know, they don't see me that often. And, they you know, they've got a couple of minutes to try to reread the chart from the last time I was in I and synthesize that. Remember who the heck I am. And whatever I'm there for, whether it's a problem or just a regular checkup, they have to sort of then pull all that together and make decisions within what, like a 20 minute appointment window. Isn't that sort of a standard? So it does always strike me that, get, you know, having all that right information and having the relevant information at that time, they're relying a lot on me. And, you know, and I'm not always good at remembering or bringing up all the relevant pieces. You know, I might I might come in with a headache, but I might not know to say, oh, yeah. I've been going with a chiropractor for the last six months straight because um, I don't see the connection there. But maybe that's really relevant. Um, so I can I can see that, that how that would be really hard juggling act for a doctor to try to draw out the information that he or she needs in that moment. Um, let, let's tell me on the lines of, of technology that isn't working or that's overhyped, you know, that seems like. As a consumer, I hear all the time about some new gee whiz medical procedure, device, study. Are there things that you just see out there that, that people, that maybe consumers or patients are in love with these days that you sort of shake your head at and say, wow, I, I don't know why we're, why everybody's so excited about this? I think there are a lot of things <laughs> on that bucket. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, there's a range. So first I'm going to give you a cop-out answer about a, uh, a category of treatments and just technologies. And so, and then we can talk about some specifics. So in terms of the category, I think technologies, especially in the outpatient setting to our earlier point, that don't integrate with a provider physician's workflow, while it sounds really great, hey, we have this thing, it does that, and look at our data and people love it. But if it doesn't fit with what your healthcare ecosystem is looking at and thinking about, it can actually sometimes even create problems, right? We're even just talking about one provider. What if you have six providers, right? And, you know, I think you want to figure out, uh, you know, how to make the pieces work together, right? And so sometimes I feel like these standalone apps, they fail because in typical practice, they're really hard to use for a provider on a day-to-day -day basis. And give me an example. That you don't have to name a specific app, but the kind of app you're talking about. Yeah, so um, something that might be really important, which is how a patient is feeling, let's say, after surgery, right? So let's say they had, um, you know, a knee replacement done and they're going home. And it sometimes is important to understand how someone is feeling. It's almost always important, right? 
but if it's it, data inputted into an app and that's it, uh, it becomes hard then to just integrate that. Because what if I'm an orthopedic surgeon and I, you know, I have, you know, this month I did a hundred plus surgeries, right? And I'm getting data points from a hundred plus patients every day, multiple times a day. I know like many people in their line of work are used to, you know, staring at their phones all day and things like that. But, you know, if a doctor is staring at his or her phone all day, he's probably not talking to patients, right? Uh, which is really at the end of the day, the most important thing that I think a provider could do. But there are solutions there where it's not just an app. Let's say it's an app and the, you know, the maker of that app has like a call center. And so, the first ping isn't going to the doctor. It's actually going to, let's say, a nurse that's fielding the responses there. And then if there's something concerning, talk, you know, calling the patient and figuring out what's going on. And then in those few cases where there's a real issue, you know, then taking that issue and elevating it to the doctor who really needs to address it. Because then you have this issue of signal and noise. I think a doctor would much rather hear the few cases where, you know, his or her input is really important to really help that patient than a lot of data. And so to me, it's that combination of technology and people that is the real sweet spot. Because at the end of the day, I think patients, they really, you know, in healthcare, they care about the caring part of things. And if it's just technology without that human caring part, it oftentimes fails. You are a hip guy. Our listeners can't know this, but I'm looking at you. You're hip, you're savvy. What technology do you like in your own life outside of work? That's a really uh, good question. So you, you asked outside of work. Yeah. So, you know, I'm definitely on social media. You know, I have two young kids, so I need to stay on top of things. Uh, I have family that wants to see their pictures and you know, whether it's, you know, thermostats and things like that. You know, I think technology can help in so many ways. So you, got, you have like life. a nest at home, so you're saying? That sort of stuff. You have a exactly. nest. Uh-huh. Uh, you're on Instagram for the for the grandparents. So my, well, so my wife is on Instagram. Uh-huh. I, I'm not a heavy Instagram user, but essentially her posts are, you know, viewed by all. And so, you know, I think technology is wonderful. You know, I'm a big online shopper. I think it's really efficient. I love reading reviews. I feel like I make actually better decisions. I don't waste my time. Uh, you have an Alexa or a Google Home? I have an Alexa and a Google Home. How, <laughs> how does that work? How can you have both? And I have Apple devices. <laughs> and so, you know, so I think technology is great, but I think technology has to provide value. Mm. And those devices can definitely provide value in the right setting. I think in healthcare, we're a little bit behind and we're still muddling through that phase of where it provides the most value. How do we marriage uh, tech with real people and then help to get to better medical decisions? And I think it's it's a great problem for our time. I'm excited to be in it, trying to work on it. And uh, ask me again in five years and hopefully we would have uh, solved a lot of these issues. Terrific. Uh, Kumar, thank you. You've been listening to the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health. We've been talking with Dr. Kumar Damarajan. I'm Jason Alderman. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health. If you like what you heard, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to share with your friends and family. For more information about Clover, visit www.cloverhealth.com.